I'm a talkative person because I'm an SE dom. It's like my only world is the physical. My words are the only means of me getting out my meaning and intention. We'll see if I eat those words. She'll be entertaining others all the time. This is exactly where I wanted to go with it. <laughs> Do I not dare to this bump on a podcast with people can hear me. You guys ready to go? Yeah, Kate. Hey guys, we're back with another podcast. It's been a while since I brought an episode to you, but this is a fitting occasion to come back to the pod after a few weeks, lol, probably a few months at this point. In case you missed the news, I am engaged. That's right. Very excited about it. Released the news in one of the videos that I recently published called 16 Personalities Getting Engaged. And I popped up on YouTube as well as on Instagram a prompt asking for a few questions. I said, I'm very happy to talk about my relationship given that my channel is very much about communication, relationships, and how MBTI can be used as a tool to help understand people in their relationships. So I asked you to submit questions if you wanted me to answer them in this podcast episode, and I received quite a few. I've noted down about 50 of them, and we'll just jump through as many as we can today. So for those of you who missed the personality type of my fiance, he is an ENTJ. And with that information out of the way, let's dive into the first question. Question one, how did you two meet? An ENTJ and ESFP first meeting must have been fun. So Andrew and I have debated this. We are not sure exactly the first meeting. Well, I'm pretty sure I know exactly what the first meeting was, but he thinks our first meeting was a different occasion. And when he describes it, I can't even remember the time that he describes but I believe our first meeting was at a social gathering. He, he and I are part of the same sort of Catholic circles around Sydney. So we've been running into each other for years. Given that we've been in and out of the same Catholic circles for a very long time, it's quite hard to pinpoint at which time we met each other for the first time because there's a lot of sort of events that happen at like pubs or you might get invited to someone's birthday party and maybe you say hello or you introduce each other but it's dark and there's so much going on that maybe you don't remember each other. So I think the first time that I met him was at a social gathering uh, at one of my friend's houses which was after a live gig that a group of us went to that our friend was playing and Andrew happened to be friends with the girl who was playing. I happened to be friends with the girl who was playing. We didn't actually meet at that gig, but then we met at the party afterwards. And it was nice. We had a bit of banter. He expressed his love for board games. I said in classic ESFP fashion, oh my goodness, I've been wanting to hold a board game night at my house. You should totally come around sometime. And he was like, yeah, that'd be great. And then that board game night never happened. So yes, not entirely sure exactly when the first time we met was, but the first time that we bonded would have been at a mutual friend's birthday party and I just was shamelessly flirting, but he was quite reserved and um, it took in true NI fashion months and months for him to make a move. But there were other factors involved there, but yeah, I was pretty shameless in how I flirted with him and then... We kind of got together, I think, over a year later. But it was kind of one of those situations where, you know, you kind of flirt with someone and you see if there are vibes back from the person. And I just didn't perceive them to be any vibes back in return from him. So I kind of was just like, all right, no worries. And then a year later, he made a move on me and I was kind of like, oh, okay, cool. So, yeah, he's definitely not a wear your heart on your sleeve kind of person. So not incredibly easy to read and therefore I wasn't able to tell that he was interested until the moment when he very intentionally chose to let me know that he was interested, which was nice. Next question, is your fiance Catholic? Yes, he most certainly is. 
I have not always dated Catholic men, but a few years ago I realized that dating a fellow Catholic was really important to me, especially when I became more interested in my faith and grew in a deeper knowledge of my faith. And it became really important to me in sitting down and discerning what I wanted in a relationship to share that same value. So yes, he is Catholic. Next question, does your fiance also partake in the TE tone? Also, what are his opinions on typology? Two-parter question there. The answer to the first part of the question is yes, absolutely. The TE tone is 100% there and I absolutely froth it. It's so nice to just be able to have a TE conversation, especially when it comes to logistically planning a wedding. Absolute blessing. I have super, super enjoyed this aspect of our relationship where we're able to just enter logistical chats and get through them in a blunt, efficient manner without taking anything too personally or harshly. What are his opinions on typology? I haven't asked him this in a while, so I might have him on the podcast or a video to answer this question for himself. But as far as I know, his opinions are, he thinks it's great that I do it. He thinks that my interest in typology makes a lot of sense, especially because I'm super interested in relationships and personalities in general and growing and getting to know people and understanding what makes people tick. His interests do not fall in those categories. So I would say that in terms of our overlapping interests, Myers-Briggs, psychology, personality, typology, that kind of thing is not one of the areas in which our interests overlap. So I think his opinions would be, it's a good tool for those who would like to use it, but it's not a necessary tool to be a good person. And he's certainly proven that in my life. So, but yeah, he's very supportive of obviously what I do on YouTube and he, yeah, is my number one supporter in all of the creative endeavors that I choose to do. Next question. Do you think if you were still in your prime, you would have been more picky? I think this is a joke question. I'm looking at who submitted it. And yes, can confirm it is a joke question. I resent the implication that I am not in my prime. What does prime even mean? Thank you very much. Was the ESFP ENTJ interaction in the speed dating video based off something that happened in real life? I have forgotten what this interaction was, so I'm just gonna go quickly watch it in order to answer this question. Okay, I've just watched it. Yes and no. I think I used the cognitive functions mostly in terms of the ESFP was saying, come on, tell me what you deeply feel. And the ENTJ was keeping their cards close to the chest. Andrew and I have never had overtly a conversation like that, but there were a few things that I wrote in that script that came from inspiration from our relationship, such as the fact that Andrew is very intentional with what he chooses to do, as opposed to me, who is super impulsive and filter less in what I do. And also the idea of keeping your cards close to your chest is just a very ENTJ-esque thing that I think Andrew would say he relates to in terms of when you've just met someone at a party, it's maybe not the most prudent thing to share so much about yourself. That is a lesson that I have had to learn the hard way, to be fair. Where will you go to get married? We are going to get married in Sydney, somewhere pretty close to where we live. Have you chosen a date for the wedding? Yes, I have chosen a date for the wedding. It is going to be sometime later in the year. I'm only being vague about that because I don't know how I feel about putting the date on the internet. What role does faith play in your relationship? As two devout Catholics, faith plays a huge role in our relationship. I would say that most of our actions are informed by faith. Most of our values are informed by faith and the way in which we view the relationship in general and therefore marriage is also informed by faith. And that's something that's super nice to share. It means that we generally don't really disagree about a lot of inherent things about, you know, human dignity, what love is, 
what the sacrament of marriage is. And I guess the really important things when you are a person who is serious about getting married. I think it's really good to find someone who shares your core values. So that's been really nice. We also obviously pray as much as we can. We go to mass every week together and we engage in a lot of theological conversations, which I froth. How involved are you in his plan to overtake Greece? <laughs> I hope this is this is probably also a joke question. He does not have any plans to overtake Greece, as far as I know. What other types have you dated before choosing your ultimate winner? Brackets. I know the types do not represent a person, but it's just for fun. What other types have I dated? I think I have dated... Oh, goodness. I would have to sit down and think about things and write out lists and everything, which I don't really have the time to do now. But I have definitely dated... Certainly at least one or two people from each of the temperaments, if we were to categorize the temperaments into the four groups of SJ, NF, NT, and SP. How and when did the both of you become official slash start dating? Also, is it weird that I don't believe in type compatibility, that it all depends on the person's true selves and how they grow and develop with each other? Just to address the second part of that question first, I completely agree with you. I think type cannot dictate compatibility and I've been very careful with how I talk about compatibility in regards to type on my page. I did release a video about it years ago and I have not removed that video even though most of my opinions have changed but I think it's nice to have that up there and kind of see the growth that I've gone through. How and when did the both of you become official slash start dating? We started dating a year ago. We have known each other for a few years but officially we've been together for a year. How close is he to the ENTJ you've created on this channel? Was he an inspiration for this character in the last videos? Also, Fila and Thinkerpair, some tips that help you to understand each other better. My ISFP friend struggles with her TE boyfriend and I don't know how to help them understand each other, so tips could be really helpful. Also, what helps him to deal with your spontaneity and what helps you deal with his planning? Also, does he like Myers-Briggs? Will he help you in creating content? Will we see him in your videos? So many questions. Love your videos, rewatch them often. Thank you for your art. Oh, thank you so much to this person for your comment and thank you for describing my work as art. I appreciate it. Quite a few questions there, so I'll address them one by one. How close is he to the ENTJs you've created on this channel? As with all the characters I create on my channel, I do take little tidbits of inspiration from the people in my lives. As an SE Dom, most of the data that I have about personality types comes from things that I've observed in real time in my real life. And I think that's why I'm able to replicate body language and speech and facial expressions, etc. so well on my channel because I'm quite observant to those kinds of things. So I'm naturally taking inspiration from my day-to-day -day interactions, which means that my fiance and quite a few other people in my life have been inspiration for the characters I've created on my channel. That being said, I don't think I've ever sat there and recreated an exact conversation I've had with my fiance or anything like that. It'll just be the way in which he thinks about something or the way in which he approaches a scenario or a perspective that I hadn't thought about that I might take as inspiration. Feeler and thinker pair, some tips that help you understand each other better. With the feeler and thinker difference, as long as you're both devoted to showing up for each other and loving each other in the way that each party feels loved the most, and you're good at communication and you're devoted to being selfless, then you're gonna be fine. With Andrew and I, it was mostly in the first few months of our relationship that this difference was really noticeable. 
And it just took a few times of me sitting down with him and saying things like, hey, just to alert you, I have a really complex, nuanced emotional experience happening at all times of the day. And it would mean a lot to me if you asked about it sometimes. And because he's pretty set on learning how to love me well, I only had to say that once or twice and then he learned to do it. And now we're at a point in our relationship where we know each other so well that he can even notice just the smallest change in my mood and he will reach out in some way, whether it's physical contact or just asking, how are you doing? Are you okay? Which I really appreciate as a feeler. But at the beginning, I had to give him some overt tips on how to practically be there for me in my emotions. And I had to explain to him my emotional process a lot and the fact that I'm using emotions as a judging tool most of the time and they're hitting immediately and they're hitting rapidly and there are many of them at any given time and sometimes I need to vent and sometimes I need to recluse and he just was always like yeah whatever you need just let me know and I've just made sure to communicate that the whole way through and it's been great. In terms of him being a thinker obviously how this manifests especially as a TE dom is a lot of the time when I'm venting about something or was in the early days, he would want to, because he cares about me, fix the situation in some way. So it just took a few times of me letting him know that when I vent, I don't necessarily need a solution. I just need to be hurt and validated. And then he was on the same page with that as well. In terms of your ISFP friend and her TE partner, I would just recommend open communication, knowing your own needs, knowing that it's completely fair to alert the other person of your own needs and ask for what you need in your relationship. But yeah, ultimately being self-aware of that and being able to communicate that to your partner. And as long as you are both devoted to learning each other's love languages, that communication will be the best thing that you do. And obviously keeping in mind to extend grace to each other for the fact that you use completely different tools to judge what you're taking in in real time. What helps him to deal with your spontaneity and what helps you deal with his planning? So I think it helps that the planning that he does, if I was to use that term, it's so interesting because I wouldn't say planning necessarily. I would more use the word outcomes. Like he's a very outcome focused person, but he isn't necessarily planning in the way that you would expect like an ESTJ to plan. In fact, I think some of our friends would look at us and say that I am the more organized of the two of us because I'm paying attention more to things like calendars and time and replying to messages. I'm just better at those, I guess, sensory things. He's more J in the sense that he's just vision focused. It's a very abstract planning or organization really which is characteristic of N-I-T-E, really. But I must say the fact that we use all four of the same functions, it means that we haven't necessarily had to try really hard to understand each other's languages. He uses S-E as his third function, so the fact that I engage in spontaneity and physical humour and just having a bit of fun just means that I'm speaking to him in a language that he very much loves to also speak in and he very much understands. And so I kind of draw that out of him in the same way that he draws out my TE in a really great way. And we can sit down and talk for hours about NI concepts. What can sometimes be hard is that we have conflicting NI visions, but I must say our approach to this has always been quite mature in that we will always sit down and listen to each other, ultimately because we respect each other's opinions and trust each other's judgments. So we're always able to find a happy medium. And it's been great seeing that in the wedding planning process, to be honest, I have loved it. Does he like MBTI? As I said earlier, he doesn't dislike MBTI. It's just not a tool that he actively uses. Will he help you in creating content? I think it's likely that once we get married, he will help me in some way, even just for helping me set up 
my YouTube studio room. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited to have a room, God willing, or a space to fully invest into YouTube. I'm sure he will help in terms of facilitating time or helping to facilitate environments for me to work. I mean, he's already really helped behind the scenes when it comes to helping me brainstorm ideas, when it comes to the channel or content and issues that I might face in terms of YouTube and work and overworking myself. He's always there to support me. So I imagine he will always help in that way. But will he explicitly help in creating scripts? Potentially, if I'm doing like 16 personalities as an engineer, because that's what he is, or 16 personalities buying watches, because he has an interest in watches as a hobby, or, you know, other things to do with his hobbies or his interests, I will go to him for inspiration. But he doesn't have a personal interest in acting or screenwriting the way that I do. So it's not like he's super actively involved in that process, but that's totally fine. Will we see him in your videos? Yes, I think that is very likely that you will see him in my videos, especially if you're on the Patreon. The live streams after I get married might feature him quite a bit (laughs) as we will be living together. Next question. How has it been introducing your fiance to your family? Sometimes it can be tricky to integrate a new person into a big tight knit family. To be honest, it's been a dream. I am so pleased with my family and how much they welcomed him. It can be really hard to welcome someone in, especially given that there have been other people in my life that I have introduced to my family in a romantic context. Being 30 years old, I've done quite a bit of dating up until this point. So I think there was a level of maybe trust that was shattered every time someone left my life. So I do recognize it probably was a process to welcome new people in and keep the appropriate level of detached before they, you know, before my family members could give their hearts to the person, you know. I hugely respect them for being there and being supportive through all of the chaos of my dating life, especially when I was younger and I didn't really know what I was doing. But all that to say, they were incredibly happy and overjoyed to welcome Andrew into the family. And it's just a blissful time for all of us. And I am so proud to have brought Andrew home and to be getting engaged to Andrew. I'm so, so, so proud of myself and of us and so proud to call him my fiance and just so excited about our future. And I know my family is too, so... Huge thanks to them. I can see you two connecting on the FITE axis, but how do you navigate the SN difference? Has it come up much? Well, I mean, I think it's important to recognize that we share all four of the same cognitive functions. So even though I'm primarily an S, he's primarily an N, those are our natural preferences. I'm still using SE and he's still using SE, just two slots off from me. And I'm still using NI and he's still using NI, just two slots off from each other. So because our functions are just two slots apart when it comes to every function, we haven't really experienced this in like an earth shattering kind of way in terms of he's able to readily access his SE at any point and I'm ready to access my NI being a 30 year old at this point. I'm ready to access my NI at any point as well. So I think the fact that I am older, like I'm 30, means that I've had quite a bit of life experience at this point and you know I've just grown deeper as a person especially with the interests that I've had over the last four years interests in abstract topics such as faith theology personality relationships trauma and other psychological concepts which were sparked by you know a deep realization that I needed to change myself and my life and was really inspired to be a better person I think because I've had those interests for a while, I guess I've been developing, so to speak, my baby NI, which means that I am able to access it a lot in our conversations. Like we sit for 
hours and talk about films. We both have a heavy interest in film and music and we can sit for hours and talk about it, which I absolutely love. One of my favorite things to do with Andrew is watch a new film together and talk about it. Just unpack it for hours after we've watched it. Perhaps the most obvious differences that I can attribute to the difference in our preference of NI versus SE is the way in which we've learned. So I had to do a lot of experiential learning in my youth. (laughs) Whereas Andrew didn't have to go through that. He sort of just knew and he had principles and he had convictions and visions and he always, and he just kind of knew within him the things that he wanted out of life without necessarily having to go and experience them first. He doesn't need to gather experiences as much as I needed to do in order to really discover who I am. And maybe on the day to day, I think it would come up in little ways such as I'm clearly paying attention more to sense data. I'm less forgetful with certain like objects like keys or sunglasses or whatever. Though that being said, I have still lost stuff because of how chaotic I am as a person. And then I have often found that he has thought more deeply or more in a more nuanced way about certain topics that we will bring to the forefront of conversation. And when we talk about something new, he will often be able to come up with a new perspective or a new profound thought on the spot that maybe he hasn't heard from somewhere else before he's seemingly come come up with it on his own. Or he will just obviously show that he's just given a lot more detailed thought into certain topics than I have. So just kind of proof that over his life, he spent more time in his brain or in the abstract realm than I have, because I've just been experiencing for most of my life. (laughs) But yeah, I must say not an obvious difference. And I actually really appreciate the way in which this difference does come into our relationship because Andrew is still a mystery to me in many ways. And I still find it very interesting what goes on in his head and the different ideas he comes up with in comparison to what I'm able to come up with. And ultimately it really keeps the mystery alive and the intrigue and I still find myself learning a lot from him and I think vice versa. Will you leave slash take a break from YouTube after getting married? I think it's probably likely that I will. I have been thinking about it. I might take a little break right before I get married in the period after I get married just because it is such a huge change and I wanna step into it with full gusto and You know, I'll be creating a new home and I will have new certain responsibilities and I really want to take that seriously, but I do intend to continue to create content. Of course, that will change inevitably if God willing, we start to have children, but we will cross that bridge when we get to it. Will Baby Shark be played at the reception? I shall not dignify this question with a response. Just kidding. Of course it will be played. Who do you think I am? Just kidding. Andrew would cry. Next question, what are your Enneagram types? I am afraid I have not given any thought into this as it pertains to Andrew, but I know that I am probably a seven wing six. I've forgotten whether I'm a seven wing six or a seven wing eight. Feel free to let me know in the comments. How did he propose? Did you discuss it beforehand and how? I'm interested in the communication. Yes, we did discuss it at length. I made it very clear to Andrew at the beginning and I was happy to do so because he also also very much gave off this vibe that I would not ever get engaged unless we had discussed it. I think it's very important to talk about ideals and visions for life and morals and values and what you see for your future. Things like kids, 
household expectation of, you know, gender roles, all of these kinds of things. I think it's so important to talk about these things before you get engaged. And so we had all of those conversations before we got engaged. How did he propose? He took me to one of my favorite places in the world, which is this little chapel at a Franciscan friary on the grounds of the parish in which I grew up. It is such a stunning little chapel. I have a lot of good and fond memories from when I was young praying there, hanging out with my friends there. I even remember when it was built and Andrew knew this place was special to me and he also had been there multiple times and he just thought it was beautiful. So he took me there and proposed. It was about 8 p.m. at night. It was just the two of us in the chapel, warm lighting, flowers, stunning. It was a perfect moment. And then he took me to my parents' house afterwards. They had all been let in on what was happening and they were waiting there with cake and dinner and champagne and such a beautiful celebration. Andrew had even called my sister during the week to make sure that she would be given the opportunity to come to Sydney for the proposal just so she could be around. And so she was there and it was just perfect. And it just showed that he knows me so well because the most important things to me are faith and family. And he incorporated both of those seamlessly. And it was just perfect. Who fell in love first? Please tell the story of how you met and fell in love with each other. Who fell in love first? Fell in love first. Hmm, this is very interesting. It depends what you define by love, because falling in love implies that you're mostly talking about the feeling. But I think if you ask both Andrew and I, we would both confirm that love to us is not the feeling. It is a part of the falling in love process. But the love that has led us to choosing to marry one another was very little to do with romantic feelings. Of course, it played a role, like it's important to be attracted to the person you're marrying, obviously, but it's mostly a rational decision based on like, can we see ourselves forming a life together? In terms of who fell in love first, I think I fell quite hard with the feelings. Like I think my feelings skyrocketed pretty quickly and we know that I'm capable of experiencing very high highs when it comes to feelings. So I think my feelings would have skyrocketed before his, but I think in terms of that real true agape sort of love, I think he would have fallen first. It took me quite a while because of my wounds to accept that I was falling in love with him slash let myself fully fall in love with him. Well, actually acknowledge that I had fallen in love with him. And it was just such a great gift because it was his love for me, his selfless, true love for me that helped to heal those wounds. So very God ordained. And I am incredibly in awe of how this love has healed me and just so grateful to God. The story of how we fell in love with each other. I can't really speak for Andrew. But I would say on my end, just seeing this man's integrity, his honesty, his loyalty, his devotion to learning my love languages, his devotion to learning communication styles, his devotion to working on himself, to knocking down vulnerability walls, how unconditionally he loved me, how easily he forgives, how much empathy he has for others, the depth of his faith, all of these things just made me feel so special and just in awe of his character in general. And I think at this point in my life, that is the most attractive thing. And so that's ultimately what allowed me to fall so deeply in love with him to the point where I could entrust my life to him. Will your fiance ever appear in any of your skits? I cannot say for sure. I have briefly floated the idea. He has not shut it down. He also was not overly enthusiastic about it. So we shall see more on that later. <laughs> How did you type him as an ENTJ? Brackets quickly. 
lol. Is there a quick answer to this? That's my question. I typed him as an ENTJ pretty quickly, and this isn't because he's like a stereotypical ENTJ. I just think that extroverts are easier to type, especially for me personally, because that first function that they're using most of the time is so clearly extroverted that you can observe it in real time. I knew that he was an EJ pretty quickly because he had that sort of confidence, charisma, but not in like a chaotic EP way. Like he very much, you know, like when you meet an EP, there's like that very chaotic, no filter kind of vibe to them. It wasn't that vibe. There was not one point where I was like, this guy doesn't have a filter, but he was very confident. He knew how to communicate with people. He was, you know, I, I recall one of the first times I met him, he was sort of up making sure that everyone had a drink in their hand, very competent in having conversations, initiating questions. It was clear that he was an extrovert and an EJ because of the lack of chaos and how controlled and confident he was. That's kind of the best way I can think to describe what I'm trying to say based on what I experienced right now. And getting to know him a bit more, it was basically the TE tone and the way in which he communicated that told me he was a TE user and an NI user. If you want more information on this kind of thing, you can listen to the podcast episode that I created called How to Type People in the Wild, in which I go in detail into the different ways in which I can recognize tells of the different types. And the same rules very much applied to how I typed Andrew. In what ways are you defying the stereotypes? Well, if we think about the stereotypes of our types, you know, you've got the ESFP, party animal, very impulsive, doesn't really think, borderline hedonistic. And then you've got the ENTJ, very CEO, very bossy. Their more vicious side can be quite controlling, knows how to manipulate a situation, those kinds of stereotypes, obviously the stereotypes, a lot of them can skew to a bad representation of the type. I would not describe Andrew or I in any of these ways. I definitely think that I defy the stereotype in a lot of ways, but I am still a stereotypical ESFP in the fact that I still clearly talk without a filter. I still clearly am a child in an adult's body, still very expressive, still very people focused, still very excitable, overly affirming, overly complimentary of people. Those kinds of stereotypes that are less negative, I definitely fall into those categories now. And with Andrew, I mean, just the TE tone and the fact that he's an engineer. And like, if you saw our wedding planning Excel spreadsheet, you would totally understand how he is kind of a stereotype of his type if we were to look at the good elements of the stereotypical ENTJ. But I think in Andrew's level of empathy and how emotionally intelligent he has become throughout the course of his life, you would look at him and say that that is very much defy defying stereotypes. And for me, my interest in discussing, I guess, more abstract topics, you could say that's how I'm defying my stereotype. But again, we have to keep in mind that these types are not dichotomies. Each sensor is capable of accessing their intuiting function. Each intuiting type is capable of accessing their sensing type. We are all capable of all the things. It's just about what are we more comfortable operating in. Next question. Social ceremonies like engagement or marriage or any other ones, do they mean anything to an ENTJ? That is a very broad question and I don't think I can speak for all ENTJs here. It just depends on the person, their upbringing and the things they care about and value. Andrew happens to consider marriage, engagement and all those other things very meaningful, particularly marriage and engagement. But that doesn't mean all ENTJs would feel the same. I think Andrew almost sees more gravity in such social ceremonies, to use your language, 
than I do naturally because I usually see things on surface level or experience things on surface level and don't necessarily contemplate them more deeply unless I am provoked to do so. Whereas Andrew is naturally geared towards contemplating things deeply and he sees the gravity naturally inherently behind these kinds of things. So sometimes I'm like, whoa, you are a more deep person than I am. Sometimes sometimes I think that. Not that it's a competition or that we should be judging each other like that. But yeah, I am constantly pleasantly surprised with how deeply Andrew thinks about things and the gravitas that he places behind, not just his words and his actions, but things like engagement and marriage. And that's something about him that I absolutely love because it's something about him that makes me so confident in swearing my life to him because I know he sees the gravity of the sacrament of marriage. Okay, we are halfway through the questions. Question 24, what does he like about ESFPs? He doesn't really talk in MBTI lingo, but I could probably answer this anyway. I can't say what he likes about all ESFPs, but I can think about the traits that I have that I could attribute to my type that he likes, such as the fact that I'm very spontaneous, the fact that I'm shameless, the fact that I am very outgoing. He has made comments that these qualities in me balance him out and complement him in a really good way because he doesn't consider himself to be those qualities. And I think that's really fantastic. Andrew has certainly made me feel that those qualities about myself that I used to be self-conscious about are actually qualities to be rejoiced in. And he's really uplifted me in those qualities and made me see that they are very God-ordained, which has been a real blessing. Did you introduce him to Myers-Briggs or was he already aware of it? As I mentioned before, he was already aware of it because... I think particularly in Catholic circles, it's discussed quite a bit. Well, definitely in our social Catholic circles. But I think I definitely introduced him to the cognitive function theory and the Jungian theory behind it. He had not heard about that before. Thoughts on free will and moral responsibility. Getting abstract here. I'm not sure whether this question was for me or for Andrew or for both of us. But I would say that we're both Catholic. And so our thoughts very much align, happen to align with the teachings of the Catholic Church which is that free will does exist and moral responsibility also very much exists and is something that should inform all of our actions. At this time, I will not be offering more nuance on that. Do you think communication is easier because you use the same cognitive functions? I definitely do. It's very nice to be with a person who uses the same tools as me in a slightly different order because on the one hand, We communicate in the same way, like the TE tone is alive and well in our relationship and it frolics and we both feel really uplifted when we use it. Again, in those logistical conversations, we've often high-fived after we've smashed out some logistics. Just in a very TE way, like, so here are my thoughts about this thing. We could do it this way. No, that's not going to work. Let's try it this way. Okay, great. And in regards to the next week, what plans do we have? Okay, so we have dinner here and then we have this. And I was thinking maybe this. Yeah, fantastic. Nice. I've got this thing on Thursday, so I can't come to that thing. All right, good. Thanks for letting me know. I might be able to come after though. Okay, fantastic. You just text me, get there at 10 and I'll meet you there. (laughs) That kind of stuff. I just made that up on the spot. But the very straightforward TE, let's get to the outcome kind of vibe. That is thriving in our relationship and we both love it. And then the SE is also a really important element of our relationship. We are often quite childish. We play pranks on each other. We have a very physical humor with each other. The FI is great because it's a very like, I respect your emotional journey whilst also desiring to remain independent in mine. And we both just intuit intuitively understand that in each other and very much believe that our separate emotional experiences can coexist as long as 
we're not trying to force things on each other in that area. And then the NI, the way that we talk about abstract things is so fulfilling because we reach an outcome at the end of the day. We draw conclusions. We stay on topic. We can talk about the same thing for two hours and both have this desire to reach a conclusion about it. And there's, that's not to say that, you know, I don't appreciate chatting with someone who uses NE or TI or the other functions. But in terms of our relationship, it has been really good to use the same perceiving and judging tools because a lot of the time, Andrew just intuitively understands a point that I'm trying to get across or something I'm trying to say. And he very much respects and validates the means by which I've reached the conclusion, which is SE data gathering and NI conclusions. He just intuitively understands them and thinks it's valid the way that I've reached a lot of my conclusions and vice versa. I see the way he communicates in the same way. And that's just really refreshing. A lot of the time we kind of just understand what each other's trying to say, even if we don't find the exact words or we finish each other's sentences in terms of the idea we're trying to express. And it's just really nice. So there's all of that stuff. But then on the other hand, it's also really nice because we use the functions in a different order. So it keeps alive the mystery and allows us to still find each other's functions and the use of the functions, the advanced, nuanced use of the functions, novel and interesting and admirable. Because obviously we subconsciously desire to be better at our lower functions. So being in a relationship where the other person uses your lower functions just makes you kind of appreciate those functions in the other person and admire them. In what ways does your fiance balance you out? Same sort of thing. I think his sophisticated use of TE is really good because we know that as a TE tertiary, I can sporadically enter TE sort of frenzies where I have to get everything done immediately and I often have tunnel vision in those moments and I can end up working myself into a bit of a frenzy or get really stressed out about those kinds of things. And Andrew has such a measured use of TE that he can really de-stress me in those moments. There have been a few times where I've stressed out, stressed out about a change of plan or something that I need to get done at last minute and I just don't want to do it. And he'll just step up and be like, it's okay, you know, we'll sort it out. I'll handle it. Here are a few different options. Or he'll just remain calm when I'm in that frenzy and it calms me down, which I really appreciate. And then I also really think that I've appreciated his NI because sometimes I can get into the habit when I'm go, go, go of not really thinking through a lot of the things that I'm saying or doing or thinking through perspectives about how I'm living my life. And he often encourages me to think about a new perspective or a new way of looking at things. So like a classic example would be how I would perceive like a movie or a situation in a certain way, but I wouldn't be aware that I have an emotional attachment and that my emotional bias is informing my read of the situation. And Andrew is able to approach the situation in a way that validates my feeling, but also offers me a new perspective, one that I hadn't considered because of my FI blindness. <laughs> and he's often quite detached from conversations like that because FI is his final function. So he's often not super emotional about things, which I really appreciate. That's not to say he's not an emotionally intelligent person. He actually really is. And he knows very well his um, coping strategies for his emotions. They differ from mine, but that's fine. And that's all I can ask for at the end of the day. And then another way in which she really balances me out is sometimes as an ESFP, I can really stew in that FI, that deep emotional experience. I can stew and overthink and indulge in the feeling in a way that sort of verges on unhealthy. But because FI is maybe his last function, but also because he's a good virtuous man, 
He'll sit and listen to my emotion and my feeling, help me unpack it, ask the right questions. But then after that conversation, he'll sort of be like, right, let's, you know, go and do this thing now. Or like, let's have dinner. Let's watch something on TV. And it kind of doesn't allow me to stew for too long in the emotion. And it brings me out of the emotion and back into the SE sort of realm. And I really appreciate that because it means that my FI can flourish in a good and healthy way in being in tune with my emotions and aware of my emotions and those of the people around me, but not be obsessively stewing in them, if that makes sense. Do your stalkers leave you alone now that they know you're not secretly in love with them? You would think so. I had quite a few angry emails after I announced my engagement, that's to be sure, but uh, it's been shockingly quiet on the stalker front. That being said, I know from past experience that that does not mean they're going to remain quiet, so the jury is still out on this. Best and hardest thing about having an ENTJ for a fiancé. Okay, this is really tough because you say having an ENTJ for a fiancé, but I must say since being his fiancé, I haven't discovered any tough things about his personality. Like, we're just so in tune with each other now and so used to each other that I don't find anything hard about being with him, to be honest. But I think what you're getting at is the relationship in general. So maybe I could talk about the beginning of our relationship and I will talk about it as it pertains to his personality type specifically. Not him as a person, but the cognitive functions of a ENTJ personality type specifically. So what what were the best and hardest things about having an ENTJ in a relationship? So the best in terms of the personality type matching was the way in which we balanced each other out, which I kind of went to in the last question. Specifically, I really appreciated in the first few months that <laughs> this sounds really bad, but you know, as like an FI dom or orcs, you are aware of, the, you, you kind of subconsciously think of yourself as like this really profoundly emotional person and you just want everyone to ask about your emotional experience and that you have a unique and separate emotional experience that's different from anyone else's. Andrew made me feel really unique in that way because he would just listen to me talk about my emotions or any nuance when it came to relationships or anything like that. And he would just kind of froth it. He would just think it was so interesting to listen to my passions. And he would never then like turn around and focus on him and his emotional experience. And that's not to say I wasn't interested, but it just sort of tickled that desire to like feel really unique in your emotional experience. And I think because FI is Andrew's inferior function, it wasn't something that he was or is super used to talking about. He does have a profound emotional experience, but he's not used to talking about it. And that's not something that he would feel the need to share explicitly with people. And so I think he found it really special and unique that I would do that. And to this day, it says he says that it's one of the things he loves most about me is how emotionally expressive I am. So that was really nice. Hardest thing at first about the ENTJ ESFP difference in relationships, specifically from an ESFP's perspective. And I fully acknowledge that this was my own expectations that I was carrying into the relationship from nowhere. And it was mostly stemming from my desire to have other people perceive Andrew and our relationship in a particular way. But it was a bit hard for me to understand at first how Andrew could be, I guess, so 
not closed off, but he would keep his cards close to his chest in social interactions because he's a very intentional person. And so he would very intentionally choose where to invest him, his time and energy and his emotions. You know, it's, it's, his FI is his lower function. So spending time in it would drain him over time in a way that it doesn't drain me. So me at a party, I'm very happy. Like, it's very easy for me to approach someone and be like, what are your hopes and dreams? Let me tell you my life story. Let's share emotional experiences. Like, tell me the inner workings of your heart. And those kinds of conversations energize me. And so I struggled to understand how Andrew wasn't like that, especially because because he was giving me such intentionality behind closed doors. He was sharing those parts of his heart with me. I was seeing such beauty and complexity and depth in his character and in his personality. I just wanted everyone else to see it. And I just wanted him to share it with everyone else. And so at the beginning, when, you know, I was having these deep and meaningful, you know, connecting conversations with him. And then we'd enter social situations with my friends who I really wanted to, you know, see what I saw in him and really like him. And again, that was my own fault for bringing those perception, those expectations and valuing perceptions of others as much as I did. I wanted others to see that version of like, well, who Andrew truly was. I was like, why don't you just share what you do with me, with other people? And so for a while it took me a little bit to kind of wrap my head around that or understand that about him. Now I see it completely differently. And I actually really, really appreciate that I have the privilege of seeing who Andrew is and that, and his heart in, in the way that I do. But for a while I was like, so puzzled as to why this was the case and how he wasn't able to share. And I think you know, before I introspected about it, I think I inadvertently perceived it as maybe a flaw or like, it's your wounds that are making you do this. But the reality is, I think EFPs in particular, like ESFPs and ENFPs are really overtly, you know, that's why we have memes about us in this way and stereotypes about us in this way. We're really over the top. We don't have a filter and we're just asking everyone about their hopes and dreams and just wanting to emotionally connect with everyone in a really chaotic way. So it's just a personality difference and no way is better than another. And I absolutely see the fruits and beauty of the way that Andrew is. And the really wonderful thing about that is that I am constantly discovering new wonderful nuggets about his depth of emotion and his interior life. And it's, again, really just a blessing. And I've learned a lot and I'm grateful for that. What does the ideal date look like to each of you? Again, I can't really speak for Andrew. I think at the beginning of our relationship, our ideal dates would have looked different, but I think... Now they look relatively the same because we are used to each other and we found what works for us. For me, my ideal date is uh, sitting at home, having a nice meal that maybe we've cooked together and had some fun cooking it, watching a movie and then dissecting the movie afterwards for hours. It's one of my favorite things to do with Andrew and we've done it a lot and we have a lot of fun with it. I think that's probably my favorite date at this point. I think Andrew might even answer something similar. But in general, I think my favorite activity would be like going out on day trips and experiencing the world together. Andrew and I have done that a few times. We've had like mountain day trips where we would just go to all these little quaint towns for the day and just froth each one of them and explore. And I really, really loved that. But I think the at-home dates I really like because I get to have that insight into his brain and his interior life in a really special way. Do you feel like style preferences like wedding dress or venue have anything to do with MBTI types or do you feel like it's more life experience? I think it's probably life experience. 
I mean, I think there are certain things you could say. So for instance, an ESFP would probably be more likely to go for an extravagant kind of dress. Like they wouldn't be scared of the idea of being a bit extra, sparkling or whatever it is. But I only say that with like 50% certainty and that judgment would be based on the stereotypes. So I don't think I can speak much more on this. What are the scariest parts about engagement? Ooh, this question is going to throw me. Um, I cannot think of a single time where I've been scared about engagement. Like, do you mean, I don't know if you mean being engaged or just engagement in general, because I can say that before I met Andrew or got to the point where I knew I wanted to marry Andrew, engagement did scare me. I think because of my wounds, I just could imagine committing my life to someone, trusting someone that much because I'd never really been shown that I could trust someone that much or shown that kind of trust. But since getting to a point where I trust Andrew so inherently and I respect him and trust his judgment, nothing has scared me. It's just been an utter yes with my entire intellect, will and emotions and just such excitement about it. It's just this interior peace, literally 24 seven about it. So I mean, you could blame the fact that I have inferior NI and so I can't see into the future, (laughs) but I think it's a really good sign that I have such peace about it. And I like that I'm not scared about anything. And I think a gift about my particular personality type is that I don't overthink or get scared about things in the future. And I do really know what I want right now and what makes sense for me right now and what I feel peace about right now. And so for me, that's how I feel about engagement and I'm just enjoying it. What did your sibling say when you announced your engagement? My sister was over the moon. My sister was so excited. I just have frothed every second of my engagement with Jenna, who's going to be my maid of honor, matron of honor. Sorry. She is just next level enthused and keen to celebrate and keen to collaborate with me on this event. I've gone to her almost every day with something wedding related, except when I was overseas and sick. And I've sometimes just texted her, I'm getting married. And she always just responds with the same level of joy and enthusiasm. And she'll sometimes just text me random excited thoughts throughout the day. She'll text me ideas for dresses and flowers and all these kinds of things. And I really love it. So Jenna was just over the moon excited. And I mean, Jenna's seen me go through a lot. And I think the triumph of me getting engaged and finding such peace and joy in Andrew and love is just really felt by Jenna in a way that I think only a close sister can feel. So I really appreciated Jenna's reaction. Cameron, my brother, was really excited as well. Ryan was sick at the time, so he wasn't able to partake in the celebrations, but he made sure he congratulated me later. And I just think everyone's ultimately really excited to see me so happy and so at peace and see me in a relationship that elevates me elevates both of us because I think my family's seen me go through a lot when it comes to um, heartbreak and strife and finding myself and going through pain and suffering. And so it's just a celebration for all of us and we're just loving it. I'm so happy for you. Other than therapy, how does one reduce their toxicity? It feels impossible. Oh my goodness. This is, this is a question for like another episode. I have to pause and think about this answer. I would say just introspection and openness to criticism. You've got to introspect. You've got to be able to go inside and ask yourself, okay, I'm the common denominator here. What is it that I'm bringing to the table that could be toxic for other people or harmful to other people? How am I not loving others in the way that is the best way to love? And open to criticism or open to what other people say about you. I think sometimes it can be the hardest thing to hear criticism, constructive or not, from someone because it really hurts our pride 
but some of the greatest revolutionary epiphanies I've had about myself have been prompted by what other people have said in love about me, to me. And those are friends who really care for me and pointed out something about me or how I'm living my life that was maybe harmful to others. And all of those little bits of criticism have stuck with me, even the ones that back in the day I was not able to accept and I maybe culled that person or got angry at that person. I still remember to this day the things, I mean, I wouldn't be able to remember now because I've worked through it now, but later in life, I remembered it all. And after I made the decision to go to therapy and start introspecting, I really reflected on that criticism and I was able to then retrieve fruits from it. I think we have to, as humans, realize that we can't see ourselves 100% objectively and we're missing most of the picture that's available to us if we're not listening to other people's perspectives. And if someone's offering you advice or criticism and you know for a fact that they love you, just trust that they have it, have your best intentions at heart and want you to be a good virtuous person. And what a wonderful tool that's available to us if we listen to what other people have to say about us. So yeah, just earnestly be open and do the work. Do the work even though it is really, really hard. The greatest character growth I went through was when I chose to endure and do the work through periods of incredible suffering. You know, because when you face a hardship and a period of potential suffering, you can choose to suppress and redirect, or you could choose to face it head on. And it's really, really tough, but character growth always happens when you choose to do that. The lessons you learn are next level. So that would be my advice to people. What, if anything, are you two on completely polar opposite viewpoints within a specific issue? Oh, interesting question. Completely polar opposite viewpoints. I can't think of anything on which we have completely opposite viewpoints. I must say our core values line up almost 100%. Um, I think where we would disagree would be like less grave things such as like our perception or opinion on movies or music. We definitely have different taste in music. We have got into heated debates about John Mayer and about Taylor Swift. I'll let you try and guess who was on which side for each of those debates and movies in terms of, I know for a fact the other day, like for instance, I made a comment that I'm not a super big fan of Tarantino's directing in general. Not his directing style, but more the films he's directed for a multitude of different reasons. But Andrew feels very passionately about Tarantino and how wonderful and great a director he is. <laughs> and so he has a very heated response when it comes to those kinds of things. And so do I, because we're both choleric in our temperament as well. And we're both quite competitive people. But I would say it's mostly that kind of stuff. So it's not anything that's super serious or that's going to affect the core of our relation, the foundation of our relationship, if you know what I mean. How similar is he personality wise to your ENTJ dad? I mean, he's similar in generic TENI tendencies, but I think the generational difference is really big. So my dad is obviously from the boomer generation, Andrew just slips into the uh, Gen Z, does he? Gen Z, yeah, he was born in 1997. I think that's right. So the generational difference is very, very clear. But yeah, personality-wise, I do find, and people have made comments that they have similar mannerisms when they talk and that they have very similar interests. 
I will say that when both my dad and Andrew have an interest of any description, they do a deep dive into it. Like they know everything about their interest. And that means that they have certain concepts about said interests that they are quite attached to. So that is something that they definitely share in common. Has knowing MBTI so well helped you communicate? Has it ever hindered it? So for me, obviously I know MBTI quite well and I use the tool quite often, I would say. He doesn't know MBTI very well and I don't think he uses the tool very much at all. But I have used language that is similar to Myers-Briggs that explains the concept of cognitive functions without using the language itself. And that's really helped with communication. So for instance, what I was saying earlier about being an emotional person with a heavily nuanced emotional experience that's happening rapidly at all times of the day, I'm basically saying I'm an F.I. Aux. <laughs> and so that's helped me in terms of understanding him and his T.E.N.I. tendencies. For example, I know for a fact that if I want a nuanced emotional response from Andrew and if I want him to tap into my emotions and have a deep, validating conversation with me, I need to pick my moments. Am I going to choose to do that when we're sitting at a date at home? Or am I going to call him in the middle of the day of his strenuous engineer job to expect that of him? Obviously, I'm not going to call him at work when he's in TE mode. So knowing that he's a TE dom has informed my communication style with him, for sure. Has it ever hinted it? Definitely not, because I think as long as you're open to not boxing people in with Myers-Briggs, I don't think using the tool can actually hinder your understanding of people. I think when you start to be over-stereotypical in your knowledge of MBTI and like applying it in a box-fitting kind of way, then it can hinder your understanding of people. If you believe that people can't escape their stereotypical Myers-Briggs tendencies and will never be able to tap into their bottom functions, then you are boxing people in and hindering them with it. But I don't, I haven't had that approach to the relationship at all. Andrew is actually really, he surprised me quite quickly of how virtuous a person he was and how nuanced his understanding was of relationships and people and himself without having used Myers-Briggs. And that really opened my mind to the fact that Myers-Briggs isn't something that we should force down people's throats. It's a good tool if it helps you, but it's not necessarily, it's not necessary to be a virtuous person. How has MBTI helped you grow closer to God and your fiance? I feel like I've talked about that already in mentioning all of the things I've come to understand about him and his communication style. And it's helped me grow closer to God in that it's helped me to love him better and love others better. And in loving others better, we are just inadvertently growing closer to God. If we are loving people in a true, pure, agape kind of way. How often do y'all actively use cognitive function language as a tool for resolving conflicts? Literally never, because we don't use cognitive function language at all. How does your fiance compliment slash feed your energy? Again, when we are able to share those extroverted functions with each other, we both get really energized. For instance, whenever we, <laughs> I cannot over explain to you how much energy we get from having logistical TE chats and also how much fun we have in that SE. So again, as I mentioned, we love to play pranks on each other. We love to laugh at each other. We love to be physically playful with each other. We love to go to concerts together. We love to stay out late together. We love to explore bars. We're so excited to go on a honeymoon and go overseas for the first time together. Every time I see Andrew, I literally get energized, whether we're sitting on the couch, just having chats, whether we're out and about. It's just a wonderful relationship and he just feels like my best friend and my life partner and someone I'm so excited to do life with. Does Myers-Briggs play a role in compatibility or is it a mixture of everything combined? As I said in my fiance video that I released on my channel, it plays a role insofar as 
it can help with communication. There are certain types who will face certain communication issues that others won't. But ultimately, I don't believe in type compatibility because people are more than their types. And if you're striving to be an ultimately virtuous person, a mature person, you can really surpass the stereotypes of your type and the flaws of your type. And you can really open your mind to different ways of being and perspectives and ways of loving. And I feel like Andrew and I have done that and we are going to continue to do that. And ultimately, what attracted me to Andrew was not his cognitive functions. It was his virtue and his desire to be a good person. What's the most surprising thing that you learned about yourself being in this relationship? Ooh, that's a good one. Most surprising thing I've learned about myself. I think, I, I mean, I've learned a lot about myself, but I think the most surprising thing I've learned about myself is how wrong I was about how much I thought my wounds were going to weigh me down in a future relationship. I really, at one point, very recently believed that my wounds would forever define me in the way that I love and my ability to love and be a good partner to someone. But just through being loved so purely and encountering God so much in this relationship and having a love that elevates me for my natural gifts without tying me down by my wounds has honestly just made me be like, I am not defined by these wounds. Like, yes, they sometimes come up and there are intrusive thoughts occasionally, but a lot of the time now I'll just voice them to Andrew if they're relevant or voice them to my sister, outsource them, sit down and unpack them with someone or with Andrew and we sort through them and then I just get on with my life. You know, you experience triggers. That's a perfectly normal part of the human experience. You feel the emotion, you unpack it. Even if you think that your life is over in the moment, you kind of just know that the trigger will pass, the emotion will pass, and you're just going to continue to live life. And that the person you are and the things that define you are the choices that you make today. Not the things you chose to do in the past, nor the things that were done to you in the past. Those things don't define you. And I just feel like I knew that cognitively before this relationship, but I've just experienced it for the first time, like properly, in this new way that's just enlightened me and opened my eyes to the utter, the utterly brilliant and untapped potential of goodness that can come from marriage and from a relationship. And I'm honestly inspired by the depth with which I am able to love someone. I think that's something I've learned new about myself as well. So there's a lot, but I'll leave it at that for now. Did you ever try to look for slash date only your MBTI compatible type? Again, I don't really believe in type compatibility, but no, I didn't really use people's types as a deciphering factor of whether I dated people. It was always about who I was intrigued by, who was I attracted to, et cetera, et cetera. And Andrew was no exception. What have you learned about relationships through dating him? I feel like I just answered that. Um, I've learned a lot about relationships. Mostly I've just learned about love and the power of good, selfless, authentic, unconditional love. And I've learned that when it's a good relationship. It's a no-brainer. I always kind of imagined that when I got engaged, there would still be, no matter how happy I was, there would still be some little inkling of doubt in my mind, you know, because it's such a big decision. But when it's the right person and it's a good life-giving love, it's just peace. Like, it's just such peace and it's such a no-brainer. I just didn't imagine that it would be this clear. So I think that's new. What were some preconceptions about ENTJs that were proven wrong? 
<laughs> I think like maybe how controlling they can be. Um, I didn't think it was necessarily always a bad thing, but I just thought that ENTJs were controlling in some way because they had certain ideas of how life should be or things should be. And they would subconsciously or consciously project that onto situations and to people. But Andrew is like the least controlling person that I know. So I think that was probably one misconception that was proved wrong. How do you handle conflicts? Conflicts with us maybe only once have escalated to a point where it got into like an actual conflict. Because I think when you're learning about each other, it does take a couple of times for it to escalate to kind of realize, okay, what kind of happened there? How are we misunderstanding each other there? What could we have done better? What were communication styles we weren't respecting there? And so it only kind of, there was, I can only think of one thing that I would call a conflict, but then we sat down with each other and unpacked it and realized kind of what, what was going on there for both of us and how we could have stopped it from escalating the way that it did. And then after that conversation, that was a very TE conversation, I must say. And then since then, nothing has really got to the point of escalating. But I think anytime we do start to butt heads on something, we just kind of switch to a let's understand the other person in this situation. And we're always very careful with our language and very gentle with our words. And therefore, we don't really offend each other or go too far with our language. And so I must say both of us probably feel like we're getting we're being really cared for in those moments where we could butt heads. And so nothing's really ever escalated. And certainly with Andrew, I've always felt like he wants to hear my perspective and is open to my perspective and always wants to hear my emotions. So that's been that's been a blessing. That's been really beautiful. And it's the first time I've experienced that kind of comfort and peace. And I'm now at a point where if I have an emotion or something's happened that I feel like I've misperceived in Andrew that's like has maybe rubbed me the wrong way, I'll be able to like immediately on the spot bring up the emotion with him and unpack it and be like, can we unpack this? I feel like I misperceived that or I'm missing something here. Could you offer me your perspective here? And then he's like, yeah, sure. And we chatted out and it's fine. Any advice for successful long-term relationships? Only been with Andrew for a year, but I am very confident in this relationship. And for the experience that I have, I will give you the advice of introspect, open to criticism, do like realize that loving someone, giving your heart to someone and having someone trust their heart to you is a really big, grave, serious thing. And it should not be taken lightly. And if you're getting into a relationship to fulfill your needs first and foremost, it is maybe a bad idea. It's not wise to play with people's emotions and hearts like that. And we have a responsibility to stay on top of our virtue and our self-awareness and our self-development and our our healthiness, our levels of health <laughs> in general before we decide to date someone. And when we are dating someone, we are responsible for upkeeping those things. And so generally speaking... For a successful long-term relationship, I would say make sure that your attitude is always, how can I love this person better? How can I be a better person for this person? How can I be the perfect partner rather than looking for the other person to be the perfect partner, looking for the perfect partner or expecting them to be the perfect partner? Because the perfect partner doesn't exist, just saying. And you are no exception to that. You are not the perfect partner either. So always looking at yourself and how you can be loving better and doing better. And I would say that before you get engaged, you need to be at a point where you're not thinking of yourself first and foremost all the time because you're about to join your life to someone. You're about to become one. You're about to engage on a lifelong journey together. Your vows are going to say forever, meaning like for the rest of your life. That is serious. That is grave. You cannot be going in 
being self-focused. You have to be thinking of the other person before you make essentially any decision, if it's any kind of big or middle level decision. And final question for the pod, how did you know that he was the one? I feel like I've already answered this in kind of all the questions. Just his devotion to improving himself, to loving me, to having healthy communication, the desire to overcome the fear when it comes to being vulnerable with each other. It is so hard to be vulnerable and it's fear that stops us from doing so. But Andrew's determination to overcome that fear, the desire to break down the vulnerability walls, how selfless he has been whenever I've talked about my feelings and my experience, he's never made it about himself. But ultimately, all of these things over time just proved his character, proved he had integrity. And over time, it's just made me feel like I respect him and I trust his judgment. And I feel like those are the most important things when you're going into a marriage with someone because the feelings fade. And, you know, when you're 10 years down the track and God willing, you have little kids running around and bills are coming in and there are stresses left, right and center and all of these unknown factors that you cannot possibly know when you're choosing to marry someone. At the very least, you need to still be able to respect the person and trust their judgment when the feelings have faded. And the feelings I've heard, they come in waves when you're in marriage. So, you know, when those feelings are not there, you got to still choose to love the person, but you've got to be able to respect the person. And I just know that it's an absolute no-brainer that I respect Andrew and I trust his judgment and his integrity has never fallen into, into question with me. He is who he says he is. His faith reaches every part of his life. He is so disciplined. He always sticks to his word, always to his promises. And he's just a man that I respect with my entire being. And that's what matters to me. And it just makes me feel like I can entrust my life to him. So that's how I knew he was the one. Although I, it's worth saying that I do not fundamentally agree with the concept of the one in the terms of like, I don't believe there's one person out there for everyone. I think there are multiple people with whom you could have compatibility with in some sense it's just about who you're going to choose to love and me choosing to love Andrew which I recognize is very much gonna be a choice like in marriage like again you don't know what's gonna happen in your marriage right so I know ultimately love is a choice at the end of the day it's not a feeling you can make the choice to choose whoever you want at the end of the day to marry and what made me choose Andrew was his character and we got to a point thanks to his maturity and the growth that he has done and chosen to do throughout the course of his life and in our relationship, we got to the point where I felt like I trusted him enough to give my life to him. And that's how I knew he was the one, for lack of a better term. Not that there is only one person out there for each person, but that he was the one in my life that I could choose to give my life to, like as a no-brainer. So like, yeah, when I say I don't believe in the one, it's more like in a fate sort of way. Although we could get into the whole philosophy of the fact that I am choosing Andrew Meads, that he is the one. And that's true. He is the one for me. And I'm very excited about that. But it wasn't like a fate moment, this serendipitous moment where everything aligned. And I just knew that, you know, my life would never be the same. And I fell in love at first sight. He proved to me that he was a man of character and could do the hard work that's required in a relationship and to to form a solid foundation for marriage. And I'm just in awe of him, to be honest. And that's just what made me so incredibly feel so safe as to give my life to him and to say yes to him. He's a man of character, loyalty, discipline, integrity, and I just respect him. I just respect him. And I would trust him with any decision, I think. So I think that's a good sign. All right, with that having all been said, 
I don't know what the timestamp of this podcast is going to be when I finished, but thank you for sticking around as long as you did. This was really nice to sit down and share this with you. Again, if you couldn't tell, I am so over the moon. I'm so excited for my future. This just feels like the greatest chapter of my life so far. It feels like a chapter of triumph and joy and bliss and anticipation. And I'm just so excited. And I hope that I'll be able to have Andrew on the pod sometime soon. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Literally No Subtext podcast. I can confirm that I have in fact filmed a video with Andrew that will be going up on the main channel very soon. So go ahead and subscribe if you haven't already. Now, I know this episode was a bit different for the pod, but if you did like this episode or found any helpful relationship advice in it, please do consider sharing it with a friend and following the podcast. And if you're on a podcast platform that allows ratings, I'd sure appreciate it if you could leave a rating and a massive thank you to everyone who has done so. If you're interested in checking out more MBTI content, please head over to my YouTube channel, Dear Kristen, to see my skits, share them around if you enjoy them, or my Instagram page, dear.kristen, that's K-R-I-S-T-I-N, if you'd like to see some of my favorite comments from YouTube and some of the other random and chaotic, inconsistent passion projects that I do. We also have a thriving Discord community, which you can join by becoming a patron over on my Patreon page or signing up to the YouTube memberships on my channel. The links to both are in the show notes of this episode. As always, please feel free to leave me your thoughts on this episode by either messaging me directly on Instagram or posting a comment on this episode on my second YouTube channel, Literally No Subtext with Dear Kristen. I get far less comments on the podcast, so sometimes it's hard for me to know whether people are actually getting anything out of the episode, so I really do value your feedback. So thank you so much, as always, for listening, guys, and I'll catch you next time. Bye!